I'm going to ask you to take God's Word in your hands as we finish up the book of Jude. And as you heard in the video, we'll be kicking off our new series, our Christmas series, Christmas Is starting next week as we prepare for this season of Christmas and uh, our hope and prayer is that in everything we do as a church, everything that you do as families would point the world back to Christmas being about Jesus Christ. And I gotta be honest with you, there's maybe no better passage for us to finish in the book of Jude to start our Christmas uh, season than the passage that we have in front of us, the doxology from the ending of the book of Jude. And as you're turning there, we've been in this book of Jude that we have spoken about under the heading, A Clear Faith in a Blurry World. And we've asked God through the book of Jude to remind us and teach us that our world is blurry, that the boundaries and the things that God has so lovingly established in our life and in our world with regards to our own living and our own being here on earth have been blurred by the world. Voices and influences from the world have told us not to follow God and his prescriptions and patterns for our life, but to follow our own, to pursue our own desires, our own wants, our own pleasures, and to rebel against God. Jude has walked through in these many verses of this letter, reminding us of what goes on in the lives of those who rebel against God. In fact, what Jude has done is Jude has given us two groups of people. He first of all gives us a group of people that he calls those or these people. He has told us in the beginning of the book that these people have crept in unnoticed into the lives of Christians. We don't know what they look like. We don't know what they sounded like. But we know what they were presenting, what they were proclaiming, what they were seeking to influence the Christians of the first century with. In fact, the, the Bible says in Jude uh, that they are ungodly people. Ten times in all of the book of Jude, we see God describe them as ungodly voices. He goes on and he says they're condemned already. Of these voices and, and these influencers, he says, woe to them in Jude. He calls them hidden reefs, waterless clouds, fruitless trees, twice dead. In essence, what he's saying is their preaching, their proclamations, their pattern of living is pointless and worthless in the opinion of God. And he says that God is going to come, that Jesus is going to come, and he is going to exercise judgment at his second coming. He will convict them of all of the ungodly things they've done. He says, these people, you will know who they are. They're grumblers, they're malcontents, they're loudmouth boasters, and they only have one God. They only have one pursuit, and that is to follow their sinful desires. Now, we don't know exactly what this looked like in the first century. We don't know how these people crept in. Was it in the marketplace? Was it at a Bible study? How did it happen, and how did it affect Uh, the lives of the Christians in that day. But during this series, we've recognized that in modern media, and especially in social media, that we are accustomed to listening to a great many voices and influences in our world. And I've challenged you in this series to be asking the question of what you're consuming from a media standpoint, to ask the question, have some voices crept in unnoticed? 
whether through the movies you watch or the television shows you stream or the music you listen to or, or the podcasts that you subscribe to or, or the many different voices that come on reels and TikTok videos and, and Snapchat pictures. You see, we are being inundated with voices And maybe this morning, some of us need to be evaluating the voices that we are not only allowing into our lives, but the voices that we've allowed unnoticed to creep into our lives and to cause us to start wondering, questioning, and maybe even believing some of the lies that the devil in this world want to share. What Jude says is be careful of these people. And what he says is that there's another group of people. So there are those, and then there are the second group of people, of which from the beginning of the letter, Jude says, are beloved in God the Father, kept for Jesus Christ, and who are called. He says, these are individuals who are building up their most holy faith. They're praying in the Spirit, and they are fighting the good fight. They're keeping themselves in God's love, and they are waiting for the mercy, not the condemnation that will come by Jesus at his second coming, but to receive his mercy. These individuals are known as contenders. In verse 3, we were called to contend for the faith, not to listen to the voices of the world, not to allow those preachers through media and social media to win the day, to carry the day, but to contend, to fight, to agonize in our battle against them. To remember the predictions and prophecies of the apostles. To follow their pattern of living. And to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is what Jude says is contending for the faith. And what we've learned is that contending for the faith isn't easy. Contending for the faith at times will make contenders want to give up and give in. But I like what one heavyweight champion once said when he was asked, how did you make it to be a champion? What did you do? Was it your talent? Was it your your punching ability? What was it? And he said this, it is the ability to fight one more round. When your arms are so tired that you can hardly lift up your hands to come on guard, fight one more round. When your nose is bleeding and your eyes are black and you're so tired that you wish your opponent would crack you one on the jaw and put you to sleep, you fight one more round. Remembering the man who always fights one more round is never whipped. What Jude wants to teach us is what Jim Corbett told that interviewer. We need to contend for one more round. But I'm tired, Pastor. Keep contending. But I'm getting beat up at work. I'm getting beat up at school. I'm tired of the ongoing barrage of of hits each and every day. Every time I turn on the television, every time I turn on media, it's there. Fight one more round. Because what we're going to learn today is as we fight, as we contend, God has a word of promise for us. A word that will change our fighting from being a fight that makes us think that we might possibly lose to being promised that we will be the victors. And so the way Jude finishes this very earthy book is to turn our gaze to heaven. And he does so, and notice in our text, we'll be in the last two verses of this incredible letter, and he finishes with a doxology. 
And he says this, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. And all God's people said, amen. You and I have been called to contend. And at the end of this letter, what Jude says is, as you contend, you and I will find victory. And we're going to find victory because of the one who is in our corner. The one who is training us. The one who is encouraging us to continue on. And the one who will resource us with everything we need so that we can be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Today I want you, church, to see that we move from contenders to champions because of Christ. We move from contenders to champions, those who fight for the faith, to those who will win because of faith, because of Jesus Christ once and for all. And we're going to give our attention to the one who deserves all the praise. And we're going to learn that God is able. God is able. Jude ends this letter of warnings and, and rebellious examples of sin and he turns our attention not to a somber low note, but to the best of high notes, the best of glorious finishes. It is the grand finale of a very, very difficult book. He turns our attention away from the things of this world and on to God. Folks, let me, let me just say this very clearly today. You will lose hope if you keep your eyes on the earth today. You will lose hope. You will be unsettled, you will lack peace, you will lack joy, and what Jude wants us to know is if we keep our eyes horizontal, we will despair. And what he says in Jude here as he closes is take your eyes off all of the gunk of the world and turn it to God. Lift your eyes and look to the heavenly realms and see God in his glory. See God in his majesty. See God in his dominion and authority. And your hope will rise. See God seated on his throne. See him high and lifted up. And you will see that God is in control. And that he is able to address whatever concerns you and I today. And so this morning we come before what the Bible says, is a doxology. A doxology, in the Greek, doxology is a compound word of two words. Doxa, which means glory or praise. Ology is a word of, a word of glory, a word of praise. There are 21 different doxologies in the New Testament alone. What Jude is not doing is giving an addendum or an appendix to the letter. He's not coming up with some superfluous or sanctimonious words to just kind of close things out. He doesn't sit there going, okay, I made my point. Now, how do I land the plane? He doesn't land the plane at all. He ends with a crescendo. He ends with a statement of victory. Now to him, let's turn our attention to God. Enough about us, and surely enough of the counterfeiters and creepers of this world. Let's turn our attention to the one who is greater and more magnificent than all of us combined. 
And so he says, I've got a word of praise. Write down a couple of things, even before we get into our first couple points of the message. A couple of things about this doxology. First of all, it is all about the person of God. There's nothing in here positively said about us. In fact, the only thing that it says about us is that we stumble. And so this is all about the person of God, his attributes, his standing, who he is, and what he is all about. Next, it is not just about the person of God, but it is about our purpose in life. If we are the contenders of the faith, then our whole purpose for living is to do what? To be a voice that gives the word of glory and praise to God. That everything that we do and everything we say points back in some real ways back to the one whom we give praise to. Our lives should be that of doxology. Whether at work or at play, at school or in our homes, everything we do should be a doxology, should be to the praise and glory of God. When the writers of the Westminster Catechism of Faith began their question and answer to help um, catechize the believers, question number one was, what is the chief end of man? What is the purpose of man? And And the writers of that great catechism said, our chief end is to glorify God. Your number one purpose, your number one thing in life, your priority in life is to glorify and give praise to God in everything you do. And this is what Jude is wanting to communicate. This is our priority. Now, I want you to notice that God isn't waiting for us to give him glory, so that he will achieve glory. The best way to explain this is God isn't some uh, competitor on America's Got Talent or or, um, uh, any of the other talent shows uh, that we have on television. As if he performs, he shows us what he's able to do, and we give thumbs up or thumbs down. We, we, We call in a certain number and say, yeah, let God go on to the next round. Listen to me. If nobody on this earth ever gave God glory or praise, God still would be glorious and praiseworthy. If we never gave an iota of praise or glory, if creation did it, the Bible says if humans don't do it, the rocks will cry out. And as the rocks cry out and the trees of the field cry out and clap their hands, we know myriads upon myriads of angels are perpetually in glory giving God praise for who he is. He doesn't need us to do it. He invites us into it. Now, I want you to notice this isn't something that we do just on Sundays, this doxology. It's not something we do when we first come to know Christ, but it is done perpetually now and forevermore. God deserves our praise from the beginning of time to the end of eternity. He deserves our praise again and again and again, now and forevermore. Why? Why would anyone in this world... Give God that kind of doxology. 
Because he's graced us. The reason why you and I give God this glory is because his mercy in verse two, his peace and his love have been multiplied to you and I. We have, by his grace, had our eyes open to see him high and lifted up. We, by his grace and his goodness, have seen fit to trust and believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And as we look up to the heavenly realms, we see this God who is worthy of our praise. Why does he deserve this praise? Because he's a God of all glory. He's a God of all dominion, all authority, He is a majestic God. These words that could be said of us in some ways. You and I do some glorious things, sure. You and I are majestic in our own little ways. At least that's what our mommies tell us. I carry some dominion and authority. Uh, My dominion is at 410 Prairie View Lane. I'm the king of that castle, I have authority over three teenage boys. That, those are my subjects in my kingdom. But, but what God is saying is, I rule the cosmos. Every molecule and human being and, and part of my creation is my dominion. And if it wasn't enough, if he was just to simply tell us this, He goes on and gives us two reasons why we should praise him all the more. Notice that he's going to give these two reasons, but he's first going to say, I'm able. That is, I have the requisite power and ability. I have the needed resources to address these two things. Now let's get to our outline. The two things that God says he is able to do is to protect you and I from stumbling. To protect you and I from stumbling. Now to him, God, who is able to keep you from stumbling. Let's start at the backside of that statement. Stumbling. Other translations, maybe the one you're reading today, says keeps you from falling. And we're going to get, it's a very specific word there of, of what is transpiring there. But what we have is God promising, not he might do it or he could do it, but he will do this. He will keep you and I from stumbling. Well, what does that stumbling mean? To knock down and to be knocked out. Literally, that's what it means, to be knocked down and knocked out. It's a, it's a boxer's term. This is you get a punch landed on you. And you fall to the mat, and you don't get up. You don't get up even after 110 counts. You're down, and you're out. And God says, I am able to make sure you don't do that. Now, right away, some will say, and I know this was talked about in our small groups, could this mean that God will keep us from sinning? Well, stumbling isn't sinning. Because if we put in there, God will keep us from sinning, then God is an abject failure. Because we sin. And we sin all the time. That doesn't give us a license to sin, but we are sinful people. And in fact, the Bible says not only will we sin, but it gives us the antidote for sin that when we sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us when we confess our sins to him. The Bible assumes we are sinners. And so it can't mean that God's going to keep us from sinning. 
That's not it. So what is the Bible saying? Well, this statement is such an important statement. This doctrine is such an important doctrine that it fits within our doctrine at Village Bible Church when our doctrinal statement says the following. It says this, perseverance, that is God's ability to keep us to endure to the end, is promised to all true believers. Those whom God has accepted in Christ and sanctified by his spirit will never fall away from a state of grace, but will persevere to the very end of their earthly lives. Believers may fall into sin. You did this week, I did. We did this because of neglect and temptation. We grieved the Holy Spirit. We brought reproach to the cause of Christ, and it may have involved coming under the Lord's discipline. Nevertheless, God's promise is sure. And then we quote Philippians 1.6. He who began the work of salvation in you will be faithful to see it to completion. We could have put Jude one twenty four and 25 here. Why? Because God is able to keep us from stumbling. Listen to me, church. What God is promising here is you may get knocked down, but you will not get knocked out. You will never disqualify yourself from the salvation that God gives. And he says, how does he do it? By keeping us from stumbling. From stumbling, being knocked down and knocked out. How does he keep us? Now I want you to see a couple of things. This is one of Jude's favorite words, keep. Five times he uses this word in 25 verses that is translated keep, but it's two words in the Greek. If you're following your Bible in verse one, verse six, verse 13, and verse 21, the word keep or protect um, is there. It is the Greek word tereo. Tereo. And it speaks of protecting something from external um, influences. To keep from external influences. And it talks about that you are kept safe and that nothing on the outside is going to be able to do whatever it wants, whether good, bad, or ugly, to you. What Jude says as to what is translated keep us from stumbling is the Greek word phylexi, phylexi. It's a different word in the Greek. And it speaks of protecting or keeping safe from internal influences. And so what is being said here is, he's already said the external's not gonna get you. The voices of this world will not get you. They will not disqualify you from the faith. But what happens if you start believing those on the inside? If you start living a life of sin, now, tereo is used all throughout the Bible, but this word phylexi isn't used as much. And, and one of the key places, the most popular places that this word is used fits right into the time and place we find ourselves in, and that is the season of Christmas. Because in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, we get this reminder of keeping that takes place. And there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch. Well, that seems a bit superfluous, Luke. Why couldn't you have just said, and there were shepherds out in the field watching by night their flocks? Because the type of keeping that is happening here was unique to shepherds. 
Shepherds' job were to keep in a certain way. Now, they were to keep, tereo, to keep from outside influences, thieves, um, wolves. That's tereo. Phylexi was to keep the sheep from disqualifying or destroying himself. How would they do that? Sheep are prone to stumble. And what we are going to see is a video that shows us that when a sheep stumbles, they are in deep danger and they need someone to keep them from stumbling. Watch and learn. Well, greetings. Here we are out in the field. And uh, we got a sheep who's gone over on her back. Now, she's not able to get up. She's got herself into a, a situation where she rode over on her back. And because her back's quite flat, it's not allowing her to be able to get roll over. Now, if you see a sheep like this, help the sheep. Pull the sheep up because the sheep will eventually die. The gases will build up and, uh, and they will eventually have a heart attack. So, you have to approach your sheep carefully. It's not going to hurt you. And if you grab hold of it, hoof of its legs, give it a pull and pull it. That's you and your sin, by the way. I've done. Oh. Now, now it's back over. You can see how flat its back is, and that's the problem with sheep, Uh, especially ones like this, a little bit, probably a little bit too much weight on. Now, it's going to get back up. It's going to be a bit wobbly been down for a little while so oh it's gonna work its way back up it's gonna just settle itself and there we have it so this sheep has been saved its life has been saved if it had been left there for a few more hours it would have died so it's important to check sheep regularly and also if you do see one then to make sure So you're good, Chris. You shake my life. You're my hero. (laughs) Why would I show you that? Because we, like all like sheep, have gone astray, each going our own way. And as we wander from the Lord, even a part of his flock, we will stumble and we will fall. Uh, A couple hours, a sheep can lay on its back. Did you notice it makes no noise? Some of you were wondering, okay, is this a picture until you see it blinking its eye. It makes no noise. It is absolutely helpless and unknown. Some of you right now have stumbled and the world around you doesn't even know it. But here's what I want you to know. God, the good shepherd of the sheep, goes around and he keeps watch over you. And he says and he promises, though you stumble and though you fall, I will help you get back up, amen? That's what God's doing. You stumble and you fall and you're laying there, legs up in the air, and he comes and he lovingly and very caring gets you back up and sees to it that you do not stumble. That means you don't go down and out forever. Not only does he do that, but now he says he's going to present us, he's going to present us, and he's going to present us spotless. 
So we know this. Now notice, we can't be in the presence of God without being blameless. And God says, I'm going to present you blameless. That is God right now in our lives is purifying us. He's cleansing us. He's washing us. He's cleaning us thoroughly. And even as we're involved in sin, as we're struggling with this life, as we're contending for the faith, God says at the finish line, not only will you make it to the finish line, but you will be victorious. And I'm going to present you on that day. Well, what's that day? It's the day that uh, Enoch prophesied that the day that the Lord is coming when he will execute judgment. And so all those voices and all those influences of the world, all of the ungodly will be under the influence of God's judgment. But what about us who are building our most holy faith? What about us who are beloved by God and kept by God? What about us who have been kept from stumbling? God says he will present us in his presence. The prophet Isaiah entered into the presence of God in a vision. I saw the Lord seated high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And he talks about the angels who are in this vision. And at the end of it all, he says, woe to me. Woe to me. I am ruined. Well, remember, that's what sinners say in the presence of God. That's what God says to the sinners when he says, woe to them in Jude. But because of Christ and his work on the cross, we are spotless. We are made holy. And there is a day coming, my friends, where God will present us. Can I just tell you the greatest, one of the greatest joys and blessings of being a pastor is standing on stage at a wedding And right at the beginning of the wedding, I get to say, who presents this bride? And I love looking at the dad. He wells up with tears, but there's great joy in his heart. He's got his beautiful daughter next to him, and he utters the words, his mother and, or her mother and I do. He's filled with pride. Brothers and sisters, as children of God, you will stand one day in the presence of God and listen to me. What you will not hear is woe to you. But you will hear from your heavenly Father with great joy in his heart, wow, wow, this is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Why? Because when we are presented spotless before the Lord, it will not be because of our doing, but because he will see his son Jesus' righteousness on us. This word present is a vindicating word. So I want you to know this word will be done in the presence of those influencers, those voices, those creepers. Every man, woman, and child, great and small, will appear before the Lord for judgment. And when your name is announced, God will say, she, he is beloved. He, she has been kept. He, she is now welcomed into my glorious presence. And all of our contending and all of our fighting will be vindicated once and for all.